This week's episode of the Next Stage podcast is a little bit different from what we normally do. In my opinion, it's a very interesting and also very fun episode where I interview author Roy Schwartz about his new book, Is Superman Circumcised? The Complete Jewish History of the World's Greatest Hero. And we discuss not only the Jewish roots of the comic book industry, but also the deeply Jewish themes permeating the superhero genre as a whole. I think Roy really does make a very strong argument that the superhero is a uniquely Hebrew contribution to American pop culture, and I hope listeners find the conversation as fascinating as I did. This episode is dedicated to Nishmat, my grandmother, Sarah Pessel Bat Yehuda Leb, that her soul should be elevated. She left our world almost one year ago on the 4th of Shvat, so her first Yerzeit is coming up next week. And once again, her soul should be elevated in the merit of the learning and growing that we're doing here together. If any listeners are interested in dedicating an episode of the Next Stage podcast in honor or memory of a loved one, or for their speedy recovery from illness, you can contact us by going to visionmag.org and clicking contact on the menu bar up top. And now I really hope you all enjoy my discussion on the Jewishness of the entire superhero genre with author Roy Schwartz. This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. Uh, this week we have a bit of a lighter episode for everyone. I'm not sure a lot of people know this about me, but I grew up collecting comic books, a uh, big comic book fan still, you know. And uh, I was recently put in touch with a journalist, Roy Schwartz, who's about to drop a book is Superman Circumcised, the Jewish back end of the comic book industry, uh, not just from an industry perspective, really in terms of themes, in terms of what is expressed in a lot of this material. Um, so Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, how you came to write this book? Uh, I was born and raised in Tel Aviv. I uh, hatched in 1980 in uh, the old north of Tel Aviv. I grew up, uh, back then comics were not as common in Israel as they are today, but I grew up on all the superhero movies, Superman the movie, all the cartoons, that kind of stuff. And I actually taught myself English uh, through comics and cartoons, which is why you'll occasionally hear me say things like um, Great Scott or Swell or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I moved to the States, uh, the cliche, I came here for college and I said for grad school and I met someone, I found love, we started a family and all that kind of stuff. And academically, my interest has been in pop culture phenomena. My master's is from NYU. It's an interdisciplinary master's in English and social thought, focusing on 19th century British through mid 20th century American literature, particularly pulps, comic books, that kind of stuff. And 
my grad school thesis, which was also called Is Superman Circumcised, which of course is a, it's a funny title. It's a cheeky title. Nobody should take that too literally because I'm, I'm always surprised by how many people do. Uh, that was more about the concept of heroism in Judaism, uh, both in folklore and in Kabbalah and in the Bible, and how that differs from the more Christian European uh, concept of heroism and how they're similar, how they're different. Mm-hmm. And long story short from that grew this book, which really looks at the comic book industry as a whole, more specifically the superhero genre and particularly Superman as these torchbearers of Jewish tradition, rich in Jewish themes and signifiers and symbolisms and all that. And the book is actually out. It's available on Amazon. Um, Is Superman Circumcised the Complete Jewish History of the World's Greatest Hero? Well, first of all, if listeners are boycotting Amazon, where can they find the book? You, you know, most? <laughs> It's available everywhere books are sold. So you can find it at IndieBound. You can find it on any other website, Google Books, Barnes & Noble. You can order it through your local library. Uh, it's all over the place. Okay, great. Now, I remember, you know, growing up, one of my favorite movies was Superman 2. And there is, there is a scene in Superman 2 where a child falls into Niagara Falls. And uh, of course, you know, Clark Kent has to turn into Superman and uh, fly down to save him. And in the background, we hear an old Yiddish accented voice saying, of course he's Jewish. What a nice man, of course he's Jewish. Right. right. And now, you know, we could get into things like uh, the name Kal-El, which is, you know, one could say is a Hebrew name, but when you talk about Superman's Jewishness, what are you really talking about? I'm talking about two things. I'm talking about the historical context of his creation. And this is true to the comic book industry as a whole. The comic book medium is a Jewish invention. The industry is a Jewish industry. The superhero genre, beginning with Superman, is a Jewish invention. And the idea that a group of Jews in a very specific time and place would create a whole industry, whole cloth, and nothing of their background would seep into their work is unreasonable. So mm-hmm. I look at the you know context is content. So I look at the historical context of these creations and the evolution of the medium and the industry, as well as thematic content. When you really dig for that, there is an awful lot of there are a lot of themes and a lot of symbolisms in Superman comics throughout the years, not just during the 30s and 40s, what's called the golden age of comics, but running really all the way up into the 80s. Right. And what would you say changed after that? The industry grew. It became bigger and it started incorporating more people from more backgrounds and they brought their own sort of cultural uh, context and their their own connections and their own um, ideas into the mix, which I don't think is competing. I think it's enriching. Mm -hmm. I said that this book is not a, it's not revisionism, it's reclamation. And it's not about bragging rights. It's not about this is ours. It's about here's what we contributed to this rich modern mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly Superman today in the wider public is perceived as a Christ figure, which is equally legitimate. He's very much messianic. But those themes really were added decades after his original creation and mostly on screen, mostly movies and TV shows. There's nothing particularly Christian in his comics until the 90s. Well, you mentioned earlier the difference between how the Jewish people have historically looked at heroism versus Christian concepts of heroism. Can you elaborate on that? I mean, I I think I understand what you're talking about. If if I had to guess, I I would talk about the difference uh, in how we look at power and uh, heroes with power uh, versus uh, a Christian approach, which really kind of lionizes the powerless. 
Is that what you're getting at or are you getting at something else? Um, I think that's absolutely part of it. There's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, approaches you can take to this, but I would keep it simple and focus on the fact that in our conception as Jews, um, both good and evil are internal, whatever mm-hmm. other metaphysics we acknowledge. Um, the Yetzirah Tov and Yetzirah Ra are really the question of uh, good and evil. And, you know, in Hebrew, we say, Ezehu hagibor hakovesh et yitzro. Uh, a hero is somebody who can conquer, can overcome their urges, their inclinations, their weaker uh, character. And it's not quite that external uh, trickery devil kind of figure. Mm-hmm. We don't really have that. The other concept is that in Christianity, the ultimate act of heroism is sacrifice, which comes, of course, from Christ. And we see that in all kinds of uh, saintly figures throughout history. But in Judaism, Moses and David and Solomon and many other characters, um, first of all, it's not about sacrifice, it's about dedication. It's an ongoing act. And it's about reconciliation. You don't dedicate your entire life and being to worship or to serve the community. It's about balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see that, that the Jewish heroes are not saintly. They're not perfect. They're all deeply flawed, including even our biggest hero, Moses. Right. Although we do see some sacrifice among our heroes, most notably, I would say Shimshon, who we could even refer to him as history's first suicide bomber. He takes down the Philistine temple and, of course, dies along with them. And Shaul, our first king, who fell on his own sword, killed himself rather than be taken by the enemy. And, and obviously, there's also Eleazar ben Yair and the Sikariot Masada. So this theme of sacrifice for greater good does appear in our history and among our people as well, of course. But in terms of what you said about the internal struggle, like I remember as a young man reading comic books, I used to read a lot of X-Men and also a lot of Batman over at DC. And I remember there was a lot of internal struggle uh, that would come out through the characters, especially of this period. We're talking about the 1990s when, you know, there were a lot of antiheroes. There were characters like, you know, Wolverine, the Punisher, Batman himself who definitely were all struggling with inner demons, with uh, inclinations towards behavior that they had to control, that they had to keep under wraps. Right. And, you know, the X-Men are a uh, unique property for their time in that they were, you know, they were more um, circus freaks in in the 60s dragon than they were superheroes. And they were not and still are not perfectly squeaky clean. Uh, they are seen by many as um, terrorists, but they are also a fundamentally Jewish creation, not just because they're created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, known as you know, Stanley Martin Lieber and Jacob Kurtzberg, two New York Jews, but the concept itself, uh, we're talking about a small race of mutants, it's the next evolutionary offshoot of humanity, mm-hmm. who can pass for humans, but are actually more evolved, they're superior. Um, they are resented and hated by humanity. And so they um, wear disguises in order to assimilate while striving for coexistence. At the same time, they use their special gifts for all various acts of tikkun olam. Mm -hmm. And they do so while spending their days studying in a private school in New York, which is basically a a yeshiva. They're led by uh, Xavier, Professor X, who is very notably not a squeaky clean heroic leader. He has all kinds of uh, moral blemishes. And the interesting thing is in the original comics, he and his arch nemesis, the X-Men's arch enemy Magneto, were sort of more on the bland side. 
And then in the 70s came a Jewish writer called Chris Claremont, who started developing these characters. And um, it's been hypothesized that he based Xavier's and Magneto's relationship on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. But while that is a legitimate reading as anything else, uh, you know, once a piece of art, once a, piece, a story goes out to the world, it doesn't belong to the storyteller anymore. Uh, but he has said in interviews that he actually based that relationship on David Ben-Gurion and Menachem Begin, mm -hmm. the dove and the hawk, uh, both of which achieved uh, a great deal during their lifetime, coming from very different approaches to things. The question really with Ben-Gurion and Begin is which was the dove and which was the hawk. Right. But neither is exactly as history has uh, remembered them, right? In terms of Magneto, what, what I've seen is that he was actually based on three characters, uh, three figures. Uh, there was Malcolm X, as you said, Harav Mer Kahana, and Che Guevara. And that he kind of took these three personas and kind of combined them into the Magneto of the 70s and 80s. Yeah, most, most matter of most, but many characters in the superhero genre are these kind of bricolage characters. They're not just based on one thing or another. Right. Superman is a great example. He's based on about a dozen different ideas, and yet they were combined in this eclectic mix to create something wholly uh, new and unique. In the case of Magneto, um, Chris Claremont has acknowledged the um, uh, Malcolm X parallels, although he also stated that that was not intentional. That's a later reading into what he did which he accepts as valid and legitimate, but that was not, at least not on the forefront of his mind, at least not consciously. Um, what he did do is give him a Jewish background, right? In 1981, the character was created in, in 63, 64, but uh, in 81, they give him a background as a survivor of Auschwitz. That's an uh, uncanny X-Men 150. And following the war, he becomes this kind of Simon Wiesenthal-like Nazi hunter. Uh, he actually moves to Israel after the war volunteering in a um, psychiatric hospital for Holocaust survivors in Haifa, where he, that's where he meets and befriends Charles Xavier, um, who in turn has a romance with a Dachau survivor called Gabriel Heller, who ends up becoming the Israeli ambassador to the UK. And they have a love child called David, who becomes the superpowered Legion, um, a pretty popular character. He even has his own TV show in FX, but the fact that he's Jewish and Israeli has sort of been expunged from canon or conveniently ignored since. Wow. So get, getting back to the question of the X-Men and um, then being homo superior as opposed to homo sapien, this idea of the mutants in the Marvel Universe being like the next stage of human evolution. Right. Uh, are you at all familiar with uh, the book uh, Sefer Kuzari? The Kuzari? Uh, I mean, I've, the name is familiar, but I haven't read it, no. The well, ancient book, I would say, at least a thousand years old by Rabbi Yuda Levi, uh, mm -hmm. one of the Rishonim, um, also a great poet, etc. Uh, but it's an important book uh, to the extent that the Vilna Gon mm -hmm. would say that if one wants to learn the worldview of the children of Israel, one should start at the Kuzari. And in the Kuzari, he basically you know, defines, I mean, this is a, a period of time when the Jewish people were completely powerless. And even in the way that this story is written, it, it's written, by the way, as a dialogue between a king and ultimately a rabbi. First, he goes to a Christian priest and then to a Muslim imam and, and a philosopher. And eventually, even though they were so downtrodden at that point in history, he, he goes to the Jews because he realizes that at the roots of a lot of the other people he was speaking to is something Jewish. Uh, and uh, one of the ideas expressed is that Israel 
is uh, essentially like the mutants and X-Men, this like next level of creation or evolution, but for the sake of the whole, meaning for, for the sake of humanity, for the sake of tikkun olam, as you expressed, pretty much exactly the way you described the X-Men, exactly the way you described the mutants uh, in the Marvel Universe. That there's this next level of creation after, you know, inanimate, then plant life, animals, humans, and then there's Israel, and Israel exists for the sake of the whole of creation. Uh, and that we're meant to create this perfect world. And through, I mean, he's also very specific, through some kind of Jewish state or kingdom or whatever you want to call it, through some kind of civilization that we create in our country that actually spreads light to the rest of the world, that actually inspires the rest of the world towards understanding that we're all actually united at the source to bring humanity to the awareness that we're all actually part of one organic whole. Right. And it all goes back, of course, to being a light upon the nations. Right. You know, I make a point in my book, aside from delving into the sort of Talmudic exegesis of it, is that we are ha'am hanivchal, not ha'am hamuvchal, meaning it's not about being uh, better. It's not superior in the sense of some sort of vertical hierarchy, but rather in tasked with a responsibility. Right. It's in service of something greater. Right. That's correct. And whatever gifts we were given is for the sake of that mission. Right. Which in, in, in many ways can be in a modern reimagined context uh, really can be explained as uh, superheroes and their superpowers. Mm-hmm. Right. What, what it says in the Kuzari specifically is prophecy, or actually I would say more accurately a universal prophecy, meaning that even if we can say that there are prophets found among different nations and peoples and cultures, the ability to have universal prophecy, prophecy that will have a message for all of humanity is what's unique to us when we're in our own land and healthy, et cetera. Right. And, you know, tying that back to the X-Men is that they are not just a small group of mutants and that's it. They are sort of the inevitable next step of the evolution of humanity entire. And humanity resents them, humanity fears them, humanity hates them, they're persecuted, they're scapegoated, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, all of humanity is destined to become mutants. We're all destined to evolve to that level, um, partly through them. Right. And we can see that the Magneto character is obviously a very traumatized character, a a very wounded character, uh, a character who obviously has uh, catastrophic trauma coming into the story and takes lessons from those traumatic experiences to inform his current politics and to inform his current actions meaning that he has no trust in the world. He sees the world as, a, as an inherently oppressive, destructive place where people cannot tolerate differences. And therefore, he's come to the conclusion that for his people, which moves in the story from the Jewish people to the mutants, but his people, um, to be able to exist in the world, they need to barricade themselves. They need... And, and it, I think in many ways mirrors Zionism, the idea that we need our own right. space and we, need, and we need to be able to defend ourselves and we cannot trust the rest of the world. And I think there's something there that resonates with a lot of Jews, um, especially who have experienced real anti-Semitism in their lives. But I think that, you know, for me at least, that feels more like a starting point. You know, first there might be this idea of we've suffered this oppression and now we have to be strong and we maybe adopt a militant posture and, and we have to be capable of defending ourselves and fighting back, etc. But at a certain point, that's not enough. At a certain point, there has to be an identification 
with a, an historic mission or values that are not based on the oppression, that are not based on the persecution. 100%. Um, you know, if, if you're constantly busy just surviving, you never get to living. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's absolutely true. Magneto is a great example for that. And he's a, he's a much more complex character than he's given credit for a lot of times. He evolves. We, we definitely see the character. Yes, evolve. yes. And we've had many, uh, including very recently, uh, narrative, several narratives where he sort of creates some sort of island nation of mutants, whether it's a, you know, it's a literal island of San Francisco or the nation of Genosha off the coast of uh, Africa or whatever. And, and it's some sort of um, pseudo-Zionist uh, metaphor and Chris Claremont, who really gave him this kind of Jewish background before then he was more generic, sort of like, I shall take over the world, mahaha kind of villain. When Chris Claremont gave him all this background, um, his original idea, which never really came to fruition canonically, was that eventually Xavier, despite the best of intentions, would be killed. And Magneto, as a result, instead of feeling vindicated in his more aggressive, hawkish, fisted approach, would actually go the other way. And he would actually take over as the headmaster of the school and lead the X-Men and sort of evolve into this man who, despite his checkered past, is dedicated to doing good and to having mutants spread good to humanity. That never quite worked out that way. Well, I feel like it did sort of happen in the 80s. There was that storyline yep. seemed to be playing out, but didn't really, didn't really last. Yeah, it never went to its ultimate conclusion, not fully. Mm -hmm. And then in the 90s, they made him a complete villain again with X-Men number one, where he, you know, he starts the issue by um, killing several hundred Russians in a submarine, right? Right, and, and so, carrying Magneto's adamantium out of his body. Uh, Wolverines, right, 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 right. Oh, right. the 90s. No, I remember that well. Well, so with the X-Men, I always, you know, when, when I teach, I often ask my students to tell me if they think that uh, Magneto is to the right or to the left of Professor Xavier. And, uh, and, and they all come up with different answers. And the conclusion that I want them to ultimately reach is, well, it really depends on how you look at mutants. If mutants are an oppressed people, uh, then Magneto is actually to the left of Xavier. If mutants are privileged people in society, then Magneto is to the right of Xavier. And I think that uh, depending on what cultural, ethnic, you know, national background somebody's coming from, what time period, it would the answer would change, meaning if somebody I imagine that people who feel oppressed, who feel like they're part of an oppressed group, uh, are answering this question, they would say, of course, Magneto is to the left, just like many people saw Malcolm X as being to the left of Dr. Martin Luther King, and of course, the Black Panther Party was definitely to the left of the NAACP. You know, but but it really comes down to how we look at mutants in society. You know, it, it, two things to that, and, and one is we talk about the right and left, we talk about this kind of polarity, that means something different to an American Jew than to an Israeli Jew, right? Sure. Because in America, social and political right and left are pretty much the same thing, meaning social right and political right and social left or political left are the same. And in Israel, it's a much, much more of an admixture of things. You can be social left and political right and vice versa, different issues, different places on the map. Uh, for better or worse, it's, it's, it's less binary. And um, Well, I, I would actually argue that the Western political spectrum does not fit Israeli society very well. I, I would say there are some parties, what we can call the more westernized political parties or political groups in Israeli society, from, let's say, Meretz to Bennett, are able to fit on this kind of Western 
uh, linear political spectrum, but almost half of our political factions are outside of that spectrum. Uh, I don't think you can put the Haredi parties on that spectrum. I don't think you can put the Palestinian parties on that spectrum. Uh, I don't even think you can put the a religious Zionist party of Smotrich and you know Ben Gvir and Noam. I don't think they even fit on that spectrum. I think that um, you know Israeli society is funny in that you know I would say half the society very much functions and sees itself as part of the West, whereas the other half of the society very much doesn't. And I think the half that really identifies with Western civilization is able to fit into that linear political spectrum that most people understand in the West, whereas the other half just doesn't really fit there. I think, I think that's a very valid point. Um, you know, the, the Arab bloc is a good example because you have everything from basically a proto, not proto, a post-communist party all the way through an Islamist party. And, you know, by Western standards, this would be very far left and very far right sitting together. But from their own perspective, there's no contradiction really there. Um, at least not broadly speaking. So, you know, these are, it's a very good point. Um, but also, of course, Israel being a country of um, contradictions, like any country, but in, in this particular sense, uh, a lot of Israelis are torn because they want to see themselves both as Westerners, particularly uh, in the Middle East context and by contrast to uh, their neighbors, but at the same time, also torchbearers of a tradition that precedes Western civilization, that stands apart from Western civilization, and that is not defined by Western civilization. And I go into that in the book, um, an easy example being the even concept of nationhood, that we are a nation in the Bible before we were even Jews and long before we are, in, you know, we inherit the land of Israel. And that also goes back to your question of, do we see the mutants in the Marvel universe as privileged or oppressed? And there's an argument to be made that they're both at the same time, which, you know, there's nothing more Jewish than that, you know? Right. I would even argue that the way in which systemic anti-Semitism operates is by shoving us into that middle position where right. we're perceived as privileged by the oppressed, but we're really not running anything. Right. It's uh, in the book. I, I hypothesize that is the is the other with a capital O hmm. um, that different groups and different societies define themselves by opposition to other groups, the way a country defines itself by its borders with other countries. And the Jews have always been a very easy the other. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we, we're to the progressive left, we are nationalist uh, right. To the, uh, you know, the internationalists were nationalists. To the nationalists were internationalists. To the Bolsheviks were capitalists. To the capitalists were, et cetera, et cetera. We're always, whatever group somebody's in who's an anti Semite, we're always running the other group. Mm -hmm. Right. That we, we are the puppet masters. Right. Of everything at the same time. Right. So maybe moving back towards Superman specifically, because he's the, he is the main focus of your book, correct? Correct. Not the sole, but definitely the main as both the first superhero, the originator of the superhero concept and the richest in Jewish signification. Right. So where do you really see it playing out with Superman himself? He is an alien. I mean, he comes to earth. Um, I want to point out one thing that's recently changed. I noticed that I think Jim Lee is, is responsible for this, that Superman is no longer committed to truth, justice and the American way. He's now committed to truth, justice and a better tomorrow. And I, I personally find this very refreshing because I think that when Superman was created, uh, most people, especially in the United States, had a certain way of looking at the world that cast 
uh, the U.S. as this great beacon of freedom and democracy. And I don't think that's where young people are at today. Meaning, I think people have a much more critical understanding of American history, of American empire, of America's place in the world today. And a character like Superman, who is presented to us as being so virtuous and so beyond reproach and standing for such, um, for such a high level of moral integrity, you know, with so much power behind all of that, because obviously the danger is that if somebody like that was less than perfect in his character, we'd all be in trouble. Meaning that what keeps us safe from Superman is his level of moral integrity and his values and his love for humanity, et cetera. And I think that as time moves on and people, especially the younger generation, is taking a much more critical look at the U.S. and its role in the world stage and its historical development and its very foundations, uh, I think the idea of, of someone like Superman standing for the American way uh, really makes him look like a fool. I mean, it makes him look like this really naive farm boy who is being manipulated by the U.S. empire to serve its agenda. Um. Yeah, you, you know, there's, there's a bunch there. So I'm, I'm going to try and kind of break it down to uh, kind of simple, interesting things is that, first of all, the, the original Superman wasn't that saintly. That's really something that he took on. It started coming together during the World War II era, where he was this kind of all-American icon mm-hmm. and this propaganda figure on the same scale as Uncle Sam, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really didn't become saintly till the sanitized conservative years of the 50s. And different creative teams have wrestled with that legacy ever since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the better of the stories, they managed to get more personality out of him instead of just resorting to all being five-year-olds writing a, a billboard character, right? right. Um, he is a good guy, but he's not perfect by any means. And in the original 30s and early 40s comics, he is very hot-headed. He is very aggressive. He uh, occasionally kills people. Um, and he's very political. The other thing in terms of his Jewish roots, you know, you talked about, for example, how he's an immigrant who came over. Uh, the easiest thing to point out, and uh, in, in this I'm not the first one to point out to, I, I go into other things uh, originally, but his origin story is basically that of Moses, right? To save him from the looming destruction of Krypton, his parents put him in a small vessel, they send him adrift to an unknown fate, he crash lands on Earth amidst, you know, the thick vegetation, the, the amber waves of grain of Smallville. He's found by people on his own. His um, adoptive mother renames him. He's raised in adulthood. He becomes his great savior. So there's definitely that kind of Moses-like story. And there's a lot more. I'm just giving an easy, right. um, easy example. Uh, you know, the so before he was the Man of Steel, he was actually known as a champion of the oppressed. And before he took on all these like alien armadas and supervillains, he took on gangsters and you know uh, corrupt politicians and slumlords and abusive husbands so he was definitely not shying away from staring from looking and exposing the underbelly of the american dream that was definitely part of it again until world war ii and then he became this kind of uh jingoistic flag-waving boosterist uh icon um and the American way really wasn't added until 1942 in his radio show. It was just truth and justice. That's it. That's all, all you needed. Mm-hmm. And then they had the American way in 42. They took it off in 45. They brought it back in for the 50s TV show, and it sort of stuck since. So I'm personally very comfortable with it just being truth and justice or truth, just in a better tomorrow. Um, to my own ear, I would say truth, justice in a better world, but that's just me as a, as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually in, 
June 2011, uh, he renounces U.S. citizenship. I don't know if you remember this. It was all in the press. There were like op-eds everywhere. It you know, became a field day, a cause celebre. In Action Comics 900, which is an anniversary issue, there was a story uh, written by David Goyer, who, despite the name Goyer, is Jewish. He's the same guy who wrote um, Man of Steel and co-wrote Batman v Superman, and along with other movies, where Superman says, um, you know, truth, just the American way, it's not enough anymore. The idea being that he didn't want his actions and his message to misconstrued as instruments of American foreign policy. Uh, but that sort of very quickly got scuttled, got kind of uh, swept under the carpet, and DC rebooted its canon shortly thereafter in the New 52. So it became a moot point. But Superman has been, you know, in 2006, we had uh, Superman Returns, the movie, where Franklin Jell is Perry White. So he still stand for truth, justice, all that stuff. So Superman has really been wrestling with the concept of the American way, for better or for worse, for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. now let, let me ask you a question. What about the villains? Do we see any uniquely Jewish themes in the villains in Lex Luthor for different iterations of Lex Luthor, for example? Or, I mean, Magneto, for sure, we spoke about, but, you know, in Superman or in the DC universe, which I think historically uh, DC has been seen as uh, more sanitized. It's a little bit more iconic. It's a little bit more um, less agitated, less, mm-hmm. less energetic, if you want to um, look at it that way. Where Marvel really made its mark, I think, is by giving a lot of its characters real-life problems. I think Marvel was really the first to do that, correct? Yes, that was their revolution right? in the 60s, yeah. And, so Marvel goes back to the 30s, just like DC. They were a company called Timely, but they didn't really find their voice and their brand until the early 60s, where uh, they became Marvel. And their revolution was in characters that weren't superhuman. They were humans with superhuman abilities. Um, they're deeply flawed. For many of them, uh, their abilities were more a curse than a blessing. Mm-hmm. Really what Marvel did was they took preceding trends from the 50s, which were romance comics, as well as monster comics, and they combined them and basically recast superheroes, as, recast monsters as these kind of outcast superheroes. And um, the character became much more realistic. It was the quote-unquote world outside your window. Uh, and again, in that sense, Marvel is much more Jewish, right? Because these are deeply flawed heroes trying to do the right thing, often with feet of clay um, and often with unintended consequences. Uh, Luthor, you know, the, the there's a, after Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two Jews from Cleveland, um, they were not religious Jews, uh, but they went to shul, uh, especially on holidays, they went to Hebrew school, spoke Yiddish at home, grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. And um, they imbued the character with a lot of Jewish themes. And after they, they got the character really kind of taken from them, the main creative force on Superman, uh, particularly during the 70s and early 80s, was a writer called Elliot S. Magan. He's still around, uh, very prolific, who's Jewish. He's a student of Kabbalah, of Martin Buber. Uh, and he also, in several interviews, said that in his mind, Superman, he regarded Superman as Jewish. In his mind, it's so self-evident, it might as well be canon. And he also saw Luthor as Jewish, interestingly enough. Um, Luthor being sort of the ultimate Jewish anathema, uh, immense intellect, not tempered by a moral compass. Right. And if you look at Luthor, Luthor is sort of a surrogate Oedipal character for Superman. He's a bit older. He's not old enough to be his father, but very much like Superman's father, Jor-El, he is the premier scientist of our world. And instead of using his intellect to try and save people and to preserve life, 
he uses intellect to further his own agenda and his own means, often at the expense of other people's lives. Um, so he's sort of like a, a warped Jewish idea in that mm. sense. A cautionary tale. Yeah. All right. Wow. Power corrupts, right? So what would you say is the, is the main message uh, of your book in terms of the connection between Jewish identity, Jewish values, Jewish worldview mission, and the superhero comic book industry? When I wrote the book, I kept in mind two, two imaginary readers, one being a comic book aficionado, a fanboy who likes comics, likes superheroes, doesn't know too much about Judaism, as well as an informed Jew who doesn't know too much about superheroes. And I try to keep it entertaining and interesting for both. Mm-hmm. And if I did my job right, the book is balanced. But really what it looks at, it does go deep into Jewish concepts. It talks about Jewish philosophy, talks about Jewish theology and cosmology and ontology, and there's biblical references, Kabbalistic references. Um, I consulted, you know, uh, uh, rabbis uh, in terms of the content, making sure it's kosher, not just historically and academically, but also from the actual Jewish halacha perspective. Um, But bottom line, it is a general interest book. Bottom line, it's a history book. And what it looks at is the Jewish contribution to American popular culture through the lens of comic books. We know um, jazz, for example, is an African-American creation, very much a specific time and place, right? The Harlem Renaissance in New Orleans in the early 20th century. But superheroes really don't get that much recognition, definitely not in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at that. I look at the themes. I look at the history. And there's a lot. And there's, it's very rich uh, history. So just like Jews created American stand-up comedy, and just like Jews created American uh, Hollywood, and just like Jews created Broadway, we really also created comic books and superheroes, and that's what the, the book explores, primarily through the character of Superman. Right, and and that might be when you take all of those contributions together, Hollywood and Broadway, and and this superhero genre, it could be that the superhero genre is actually the most deeply Jewish of all of our contributions. Um, you know, I think in many ways, you're right. I think there's something to be said. It was intimate enough. It was something drawn and written by poor, mostly uneducated teenagers and kids in their early 20s. It flew under the cultural radar for decades before anybody paid close attention to what they were saying and doing in it. And when they had an idea, there really wasn't that much editorial scrutiny and it ended up in print two, three months later. Mm-hmm. So it allowed for this kind of unfettered, uh, funnel into their unconscious minds, into their fears, into their fantasies, into their fury at what was going on at the time. And you see it. Uh, and there are all kinds of examples. Um, you know, superheroes were, were smacking Nazis around on the cover of their comics two years before Pearl Harbor. Long, you know, at the time where the vast majority of the American public was staunchly against intervention of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you have comic book covers from 1941, 1942 showing people marched to ovens and being burned alive on the cover of a kid's comic book at a time when the mainstream American press was burying reports about the Holocaust in the back end, you know, the back end of the newspaper. So there was definitely this kind of, you know, this bugle, this shofar uh, for what they had going on in their kishka. Wow. Okay. Um, before I let you go, I, I do feel like I want to talk a little bit about Batman. Is there anything Jewish there? I know recently it came out or was brought to my attention that Bruce Wayne is halachically Jewish. Have you heard this? Uh, yes, sort of, kind of. Right. So if we are going to talk for a second about circumcision, there was oh. an adult comic where um, you can argue if it was tasteful or not. You, you see him uh, walking around naked and we can tell he's circumcised, which I thought was very... Um, a very odd choice to put that in a comic book. 
But there's a character called Kate Kane who is Jewish and she has her own TV show, Batwoman, uh, where actually her Judaism is handled very tastefully. It's referenced here and there. She visits her parents' grave. You see a star of David. She mentions her bat mitzvah, but she doesn't walk around like, like Fiddler sprinkling oys or being some sort of tokenist, you know, right. soapbox character. So I thought that was very tasteful. She just happens to be Jewish. Um, the thing is that in the comics, they made her, she's uh, Bruce Wayne's cousin. So her father is Bruce Wayne's mother's brother. Right. That's the connection. Her father is Bruce Wayne's uncle, which technically means that uh, Martha Kane, Bruce Wayne's uh, deceased mother, has to be Jewish if that's how it works. And if she's Jewish, then halacha-wise, he is Jewish. Um, that idea has sort of been picked up here and there. There's one comic where you see him lay a stone on a grave or something, but it's really not officially canonical, nor do I think he needs to be Jewish. I, I think um, there's something about this uber-rich, uber-privileged, sheltered wasp whose world is shattered by senseless violence that is more powerful than somebody who comes from all of our history and baggage. Right. Well, well, certainly if Bruce Wayne is a Jew, he's certainly a very, from birth, a very successfully assimilated Jew. Right. And in many ways, he was the assimilation costume of his creator, uh, Bob Kane, Robert Kahn, who, you know, Bob Kane, uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, they both in the old, in the 40s tended to wear ascots and smoke a pipe. So he definitely had his own kind of assimilationist fantasy being worked out through that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but short of that, no, I would say that um, Batman is not Jewish and neither is Superman canonically. I'm talking metaphorically, metatextually. If we want to talk about characters that are Jewish, but secretly, I would point to Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Peter Parker is Jewish? I didn't know that. So Peter Parker is sort of like the uh, worst kept secret in comic books. He's from Forest Hills, Queens, which particularly in 62 when he was created was a heavily Jewish neighborhood. It still is. Mm -hmm. He is a Jewish cliche in many ways, a burlesque of Jewish stereotypes. He's this kind of neurotic, guilt-ridden, nebbish, a bit of a schlemiel kind of character. Uh, Originally in the 60s, he would sprinkle these Yiddishisms like oi and that kind of stuff, which, you know, it's Yiddishisms turned New Yorkisms that were very in vogue uh, post-Mad Magazine success in the 60s. But over the years, he's used things like Fakakta and Mishigas and Tsuris and mentioned Shavuos. He, the guy who wrote him the longest, Brian Michael Bendis, is a former yeshiva student from Cleveland who got his start illustrating at Barn Bat Mitzvahs. Um, that guy said in interviews that uh, Peter Parker is Jewish. Not canonically, but he said in interviews. Stan Lee, who co-created him, uh, heavily hinted that in interviews. Andrew Garfield, who played him in three movies now, uh, who is Jewish, also said in interviews that he is Jewish. And in 2018, there's the wonderful um, animated movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I highly recommend, where you see a quick montage of Peter Parker's life. And for a split second, you see him stepping on a glass at his wedding, ah. which is a very odd thing for a Gentile to do. Sure. All right. Now, once again, where can listeners find your book? So the book is is Superman Circumcised, The Complete Jewish History of the World's Greatest Hero by me, Roy Schwartz. Uh, it's out now. It can be found anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, Indie Books. You can order through your library, through your comic book uh, store. Anywhere you can find books online, you can find the book. Um, where can listeners find your writing? I mean, I know you're, you're a writer outside of this book you've authored, correct? Correct. So I write about pop culture from the Jewish perspective for the forward, formerly mm-hmm. the Jewish forward, mm-hmm. which is now an uh, online only, uh, digital only publication. If you uh, Google my name, you'll find it. And I write about pop culture in general for CNN. Uh, I'm an opted columnist. You can find me there. You can also follow me on social media at Real Roy Schwartz on all social media channels. 
and my own website, RoySchwartz.com. All right. Well, Roy Schwartz, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to reading your book and uh, wish you continued success. Uh, I hope listeners enjoyed this slightly lighter uh, episode of The Next Stage. If you want to check out the show notes, you can go to visionmag.org backslash the next stage success.